This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Aaron Fulkerson. He's an information technology businessman and co-founder of a company called MindTouch. He helped pioneer the open core business model, which we'll dive into, along with collaborative networks and the application of web-oriented architecture to enterprise software. Before finding MindTouch, Aaron was a member of Microsoft's Advanced Strategies and Policies Division and worked on distributed systems research. Aaron, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, sure. How's it going? Great to see you today, Nathan. Doing good. I'm, I'm sitting here uh, I haven't been on Skype in so long. I've got stickers now, man. I was about to say, I see these little hearts going. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? This is great. <laughs> awesome. I love these stickers. So Aaron, tell us about MindTouch. What's the company doing? What's your, what's your business model? How do you make money? Well, we are a uh, SaaS uh, software as a service product. And what we do is we help customers or companies automate their entire customer support chain. So um, nobody wants to phone into uh, customer support call center. Nobody wants to send in a support ticket. So we make it possible for all of that to be entirely automated through self-service. Um, and uh, by by that, what, what happens is somebody just simply runs a Google search and they find the right information from the company about how to fix their product or how to use their product or how to um, achieve a specific business outcome with the product. So yeah, that's I mean, what we do. Is that literally what it is? You help these folks launch articles that rank in SEO terms and you just encourage customers that with support to just Google the answer? Yeah, and, and I mean, that's a, that's a, a piece of it. Um, we, we take the content. First of all, let me say that probably every one of your million viewers has used MindTouch at some point. Uh, our customers will range from Accenture, McKinsey, Whirlpool, KitchenAid, Amana, Maytag, uh, Remington, Electrolux, uh, Fisher & Paykel. So a lot of consumer brands, a lot of software companies. So most of the um, software unicorns, Zora, Domo, Docker, um, they, they, they use MindTouch as well. Uh, Salesforce uses MindTouch. So what we do is the, the content that, that both the employees of the company as well as the customers of the company need to be successful with the products that they sell, that's what we uh, optimize for them. And we do it through, um, I mean, I guess the term du jour is artificial intelligence. We absolutely apply machine learning to how we organize and algorithmically restructure the content. Uh, but we're an end-to-end solution that allows our clients to either ingest the content they already have, but also author and publish the content across the entire customer journey. But and, I mean, it goes back to a really specific thing. It automates the entire customer support experience. And you're very much playing, it sounds like in the enterprise space, what's the average new customer paying you per year? Are we, I mean, are we talking 10 grand, a hundred grand, a million, 10 million? Yeah. So the, the, if, if you're like a, um, I, I know that for your audience, there's probably a lot of SaaS, uh, companies that are people who work in SaaS companies that are watching. And, um, you know, an entry for a SaaS company might be $50,000 annually. Okay. Uh, then we have customers that pay us well into the seven figures for uh, MindTouch deployment. Is a $50,000 ASP generally representative, though, of your cust- your total customer cohort? Or would you say it's bigger or smaller? 
Uh, that's that's on the low end. That's okay. on the extreme low end. Yeah, I mean, I, we have a product that's specifically geared for uh, growth stage software companies, which you know I bring it up here because, from my understanding of your audience, there's probably more of those. Yeah, it's, you uh, know, if your audience is mostly you know ten to a hundred million ARR kind of companies with ten to you know five you know five hundred employees. Yeah, so a more typical deployment would look like a Whirlpool and Electrolux and and. Um, we're powering these global brands and uh, we power the, the agent experience for content, the customer facing, the partner, the field service. And those deployments are, are well into the seven figures. Yeah. When did you launch the company? What year? Well, that's a bit of a loaded question because MindTouch originally started off as an open source project. So my, my good friend, Steve and I, we started the company. We, we used to work in, in research at Microsoft and originally it was, it was a hobby. We we're like, Hey, there's no good technology for driving self-service. So let's build something. We released it as an open source project and it was, became uh, wildly popular. In fact, it was in the uh, top five open source projects in the world, doing thousands of downloads every day. And we did that back in 2000. Well, we shipped the first version of the open source code in 2006. And uh, then we released our first cloud version of the product in 2011. When did you introduce so, pricing? Uh, the pricing, the cloud version, 2011. Uh, okay. When did we introduce pricing? I mean, we started selling a support subscription on our free open source software in 2008. But that was, I mean, it was more of a developer toolkit and um, very, very different from what we do today. The reason I'm asking is because I just had Matt Mullenweg on from WordPress and it was so tough for him to manage monetizing open source in terms of his cred and his cool factor with the development community. How have you managed yeah. that? Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's less relevant now. So Matt's a great guy and he was one of the few who traversed that, uh, successfully. There's most don't, right? I mean, they just don't, uh, and and I don't know that that MindTouch did. I mean, we didn't. We never like when we made the transition from our open source offering uh, to our cloud offering. The people who were doing the open source were mostly um, developers and IT guys. And the last thing they want, I mean, their job was to maintain the servers that 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 ran MindTouch. Can you, Aaron? Sorry. So, can you can you for people that are not tech savvy? Can you just explain the difference between open source versus cloud? Sure. So. We used to take all of our source code and release it to the public for free. And we even took it one step further. We would package and test our product. This was up until 2010. January 2010 was when we stopped doing this. We packaged and test our product for six different operating systems so that you can install it on your servers uh, very easily. We, we built installers for it. We put it in virtual machines. So people would just use our software for free. And then we had a model that allowed us to um, upsell them from a free version onto a paid version. And that's what that open core thing was that you, you talked about uh, in my bio. That's a Wikipedia page. I don't know if I could assume credit for open core. I mean, there was a lot of people who were doing that stuff. And, and uh, I, I don't know that we were the first. Uh, we were one of the first. Um, I know I get credit for having pioneered it, but I don't know if that was me. So uh, give me, give me the, give me some more of the story here. So first year revenue, 2011, I sense like when you, is when you launched the pricing. Do you remember how, how little you did in that first year? What was the number? Well, uh, you know, when we were selling support subscriptions, we grew that business to a few million in annual recurring revenue. So it's and 08 to 11? Away, yeah. 08 to uh, 2010. And, um, uh, we, we first started selling the support subscription in 08 
And uh, we did we did under a million. It was like eight or nine hundred thousand in in cash in 08. And then we grew that to like three and a half million by 2010. Um, and I'm, my numbers are a little fuzzy because it, okay. like, it seems like two lifetimes ago. But it was like an agency but, uh, model back then. Consulting, gigs, yeah, right? Yeah, we, we built a product that we released for free. We sold a support subscription. And then Open Core was we kept some features as part of a commercial offering. You wanted some of the more sought after features, you had to buy the commercial version. We introduced that in 2009. And then what became clear was that we just open the economics of open source really can work uh, as a business model, as a way to drive down customer acquisition costs if you're talking about infrastructure. But I am unaware of it ever working as a way of as as something that's that's um, powering the business model uh, when it's a business application. So. Um, to get to your, your question about when we released the the uh, cloud product, and and this ties in with what Matt talked about when he made the transition from an open source product to a hosted, right, cloud hosted product. Um, the thing that we went through was we we turned our back on this massive global community that had, I mean, hundreds of millions of users and tens of millions of deployments, and it was it was um it was difficult because. We had a business that was doing a few million in revenue and um, uh, a, a very large, passionate community of users. But the bottom line was, like, I'm eating top ramen and trying to support my family. And, you know, it, it wasn't a viable business. It just was not a viable business. So what we decided to do was to launch the cloud offering. And um, it was a good thing we did. Uh, things things really took off at that point. And, uh, you know, look, we put out all the source code so other people could have picked up and run with the open source community. Yep. Uh, it's when you don't have a, a driving force behind it, like typically the founders of an open source project, it dies. They, they, atro- it, they atrophy and die. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you, I still like, I'll go to events and, um, I was just at Dreamforce, the big Salesforce event, and people still come up to me to this day, six years later. And they're like, oh yeah, we're using the open source. I'm That's like, so funny. We have not released a patch or an update to that since January of 2010. That's crazy. And and I'll, I'll have people who come up and say, Oh, you're Aaron. You did the, uh, you and Steve did mind touch and you did, you guys did that enterprise wiki. And I built a, I, this, this was just last year. I built a $12 million annual consulting business, just doing services on your, your open source. I'm like, you were doing four times more than we were, man. That's hysterical. <laughs> so Aaron update us to today. So between 2011 and today, what have you grown the company to in terms of revenue? Well, you know, we don't we don't disclose the revenue, uh, and there's good reasons because we have uh, certain partnerships that preclude us from doing that. Yep. Um, but uh, where we are is uh, we we can you put a bottom or maybe a really vague range, like like a huge range. Yeah, well, you know, we're doing we're we're well into eight figures, right? And okay. I'm, a better way to think about it, I think, is this the kind of scale that we're driving on our cloud infrastructure. So we have we have um, over 300 customers. Okay. And um, okay, so you're really if you're doing more than 10 million in revenue, that's eight figures on 300 customers. I mean, you are a real enterprise. Yeah. So there's there's um just over 300, and then if you look at like our number of events that we do uh, monthly, we're doing like a billion events monthly. So these are discrete events that we're powering interactions with humans across the internet around self service for our our clients. Yep. Um. So. It's it's a massive scale, and I'm really proud of Steve's work, who runs engineering. I mean, gosh, the our we do everything on Amazon, but 
while we're doing, you know, a billion plus events or a couple billion events, the, um, uh, the response time is still 200 milliseconds. It's amazing. Time. So it's screaming fast, even at this massive scale. That's amazing. So just to put a big range on this, not so that you don't get any kinds of trouble, you're doing between 10 million, but less than nine figures, right? So between 10 and hundred million, is oh, yeah. that fair? Yeah. So okay. we're, we're low eight figures. Okay. When do you think, what do you have a plan? I mean, what year do you think you'll break that, that nine figure mark, the hundred million mark? You know, I, you know, I, do you man, feel like, I, can I, you feel it yet? Or it's still a little too far that's to feel. A ways off. That's okay. a ways off. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And I mean, I tend to think about things in terms of like 10 years and one year, Yeah, you know, so <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? You know, cause you can do a lot inside of 10 years, but you got to be really focused on right now. Do you think, so, do you think by the end of 2018, you'll break like the 30 or $40 million mark? 2018. Um, 12 months no, from we'll now, be, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be shy of that. We'll okay. Of that. All right. But maybe if you really kill it, big contract, you didn't plan, maybe you, you hit it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey man, maybe it's a hundred million then. <laughs> <laughs> I like, the CIA, dude. I like how you, the CIA on. I like how you one, roll <laughs> one customer, what account you just get just all of China, a dollar, <laughs> a user, a customer. <laughs> and Steve, Steve, can you give us a sense of growth? So take us back 12 months in December, 2016, where were you generally at? Were you, had oh, you broken yeah. eight so figures we, in or no? We, 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 um, you know, one of the things that's important to know about mind touch too, is that, uh, we self-funded this company. You're all bootstrapped even to date. We bootstrapped until 2016. Oh, no, come on, Steve. You can't, you don't get, you don't get the Aaron, bootstrap Steve tag anymore. Partner. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, I think that's very relevant because total investment into mind touch, 12 million. Total institutional to investment, twelve million to date. To date, yeah. And that was so, all just came in six, twelve months ago. Uh, no, this is twenty sixteen. So twenty sixteen, almost okay. two years, about two years ago, two years ago. That's still pretty but, good. Uh, but, and keep in mind, Mind Touch today, we're we're cash flow positive. That's amazing. Okay, wait. Let me let me let me really let me give you extra credit here, right? So two years ago, hopefully that's old enough where you can share more. Totally bootstrapped. Would you would you grow the company to in terms of ARR? We're doing 70, 80, 70 to eighty percent growth in ARR. No, no, back right before back before you raised any. Like I'm curious what you were able to grow uh, it to with no capital in. So at the, in 2016, right. what was it? We grew it to seven million ARR on our. That's cloud great, product. man. That's bootstrap. Yeah. That's good shit. All right. Yeah, that's that's highly obviously that's really unusual. I mean, I don't know if your audience understands how highly unusual that is. When you look at this is this is really interesting. If you look at so are, are you familiar with the JMP Hot 100? It's no. The, um, so there's a. A, a banking firm called JMP. They issue every single year the Hot 100, which are the uh, best operated, most um, disruptive, privately held companies. And it'll be like Dropbox and Box, and you know they, they've been in it before. Um, last year, MindTouch was in the Hot 100. That's great. Now, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So you know, it's it's kind of a who's who of pretty much the unicorns. Now, why that's relevant is when they started doing the Hot 100, which I think was 2008, the average amount raised by companies listed on the Hot 100 was, it was like, I, I might have my number slightly wrong. It was like $38 million. Okay. So this was 2000, maybe it was 2006. I forget. Anyway, it was $38 million. I think it was 2006. So fast forward 10 years when MindTouch is listed in the Hot 100, the average investment in companies at that time was $380 million. Jeez. $380 crazy. million. Dollars. No, it's a so, lot of, it's a lot of, you deserve a lot of credit. That's impressive. 
why this matters to people who are interested in software entrepreneurship is think about a company that's raised a hundred million dollars. Okay. And, and at the scale that we're at, most companies have raised more than a hundred million, but let's just take a hundred. Let's say a company's had a hundred million dollars in investment. Now, in order for those incentive stock options that all of the staff are being awarded to be worth anything. At least 2x, 3x, liquidation preferences, 300 million, 400 million. So their valuation will be at 400 million. Okay? So on $100 million invested, that company, pre-money valuation is $400 million. Right? So multiply that by three at a minimum. So in order for a company to see, like, as, a, as an employee of a company that's raised $100 million in capital, for me to see a dime for my incentive stock options, that company has to exit at $1.2 billion. As I'm traveling the world on planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, guys hear it, I'm closing loads of different deals, whether it's buying a company, closing a new account for gitlatka.com, you name it, I've got to do it. And part of my issue is signing documents while I'm on the road. So I just found this new tool. I'm using it pretty aggressively. It's called Sign Easy. So you can get started for free at gitsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see contracts that I've signed there and boy, oh boy, are they big and they work and the app is so easy to use. Get started today at getsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. No, I get it. Listen, we've we've done about a thousand interviews with B2B SaaS CEOs. All together, they've raised about $7 billion and all the revenue added up together, they do about $3.9 billion in ARR. And I can't tell you how many of them, I mean, we just had Namely on a few days ago. They raised $157 million. They're doing $3.3 million bucks in monthly recurring revenue. You, They have a long way to grow to grow into a valuation where any of the common equity holders or common shareholders see it, anything. Yeah, makes good sense. Hey, I just realized, because I'm loving this, we, we basically have run out of time, but real quick, because I want to I make sure I get the full story here. Launched many years ago, 2016, bootstrapped to early 2016. Uh, you were doing about, uh, you said, I think 12, or you raised 12 million in 2016, but you're doing about 7 million in ARR at that point. Totally bootstrapped. You said you grew- And at the time we were growing at 70, about 70, 80% ARR, and track it forward, right? Now it's going into 2018. That's great. Yeah. So if you've tracked that forward, 7 million early 2016 and at 2016 at 70% growth, you're at what? I think 11.9 and another 70% on top of that, you're at 20, 20.2, I think, right? 20 point, something like that. But healthy growth rate nonetheless. Last question here, where, when you're, you have such an enterprise model where lifetime value is so freaking high, you can afford to pay a lot per customer. What are you willing to pay up to to acquire these customers? Yeah. Um, <sighs> or do you not think about it? Yeah, I, I don't think about it. I mean, the thing that I do know is that our, speaking about lifetime uh, customer value, our renewal rates are 96% and we have negative churn. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you see those formulas that people put out, like Scott at Matrix and others put out these formulas for lifetime customer value. And it looks ridiculous. Yeah, because it can get, it can get like, it, you can you can argue in your model, like they're worth $100 million a pop. $100 million. Yeah. It's, exactly. But that yeah, can't inform your cat because then you'll way overpay, right? You just don't know. Right. Yeah. So it's not something that we're, that we, we actively track and focus on. Um, the key thing that we're focused on is, uh, cost like, Hey, what's, what's our return on investment for sales and market spend? You know, th those are the kinds of things that I do care about. Yeah. What did you spend last month just on paid stuff? Like how big is it? I'm curious. Man, I'd have to, I'd have to more, have to more or less than a million, market. more or less than a million dollars and just paid it like, like Google oh, ads, oh, Facebook yeah. ads. 
it's it's way less. We don't do that much advertising here. Most okay. of our the way that we do it is like we close Whirlpool and then Electrolux is a customer and yeah. Fisher and PayPal is a customer. I mean, you look across the consumer white goods space and it's like a who's who of the appliance space. Same thing with like business and or Exact Target was a customer. Then then it was uh, Silver Pop, uh, Click Squared, Emma. They follow and a lot of it. They they follow because yeah. it becomes so disrupted to them in their in their category that somebody's deploying. Zor is a customer. Ari is a customer. So uh, Metrotech's a customer. So Aaron, what, just, with all these big guys, I mean, what do you assume minimum lifetime value is? I mean, would you put a floor and say maybe a million? They're all worth more than a million. Yeah, well, let's let's take one that your audience would probably be more familiar with. Okay. Let's say it's um, Zora, right? Yep. Uh, so they do subscription, subscription billing software. They've been with us for uh, four or five years so far. And we power both their success center, but it also powers the experience inside the CRM on their web in their products. So, I mean, Zora's not, Zora's going to be with us for life. Yep. You know, it's, it's, we deliver so much value around the, lowering the effort for the customer, which improves their ability to upsell, renew, uh, but also to build analytics and informs other aspects of their business. What's your team so, size, Aaron? Oh, we're, we're tiny, man. We're a hundred people here. That's great. No, what I'm asking these questions because when, when you have such healthy economics like you do, it becomes very difficult to figure out how aggressive you should be on customer acquisition because you could assume lifetime value is huge. So yeah. I'm trying to figure out how you make that decision. What, what I what I like to track is for every dollar we spend in sales and marketing should generate a new dollar in annual recurring revenue. Okay, we're, that's we're not, fair. Which we have historically done until we took our investment. Uh, yep. We started burning some cash. Uh, we just returned to cash flow po- uh, positivity right now. So we keep it right at break even, right? But um, what, what I track is, hey, if we're spending a dollar, we get back a dollar and that dollar should yield an upsell potential of 15 to 20% annually. Yep. No, Does that make sense? That that makes perfect sense. And look, if you've got, if you're doing around, call it 20 million in AR right, ARR right now across 300 customers, right? That's about 66 grand, right? Per year, right? Right there. That, and you can basically say you're willing then to spend up to about 66 grand to acquire that customer. If it's a one-to-one ratio on average. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Good. Okay. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Oh, my favorite is, oh man, uh, gosh, I'm supposed to, this is supposed to be like a speed round. Normally these are like speed rounds. You right? can say I skip if you round. don't, don't make it up. Don't make no, it no, up. I will not. Okay. okay. Uh, my favorite business book, um, challenger sale. Okay. Uh, no, excuse me. Challenger customer is a great one. It's better than challenger sale. Even number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I've always been a big fan of Reed Hastings, man. At Netflix. He's a good one. Even before he was at Netflix. He's awesome. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? Favorite online tool. I really like Grammarly. Grammarly is great. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Um, This is horrible because we're perpetuating this myth about sleep. This is why I asked the question, by the way. I sleep about four or five hours. Jesus Christ. Aaron, how do you function? Well, I mean, I'm up at 4.30. I have a morning routine beginning at 4.30. I study a topic. Currently, I'm studying Spanish. Um... I, I meditate. I do my breathing exercise. Wim Hof is awesome. Check out Wim Hof. Okay. Uh, then I read a book for 20 minutes and then my kids are up. I, I feed them breakfast. I'm with them. And then How I many kids do you have? Two. Okay. And, and are you married single? Married. Okay. And how old are you, Aaron? 42. Damn. All right. Last question. Take us back 22 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? 
Um, I think the importance of actually, I was just talking about this. In fact, I read Spark about six years ago. No, when Spark first came out, Spark, the revolutionary new science of um, exercise in the brain, great book. Totally changed my life. I wish in my 20s I would have known more about exercise and how it, how it makes you smarter, it makes you better as a person. Um, yeah, yeah. There and you. Then, and, and keep in mind, like in my 20s, man, I was a Marxist. I was an anarchist. I didn't start my career until 30. I was going to say, I see, I want to ask, I I saw a little tattoo sneaking out and I said, I wanted to ask the story behind the tattoo, but we ran out of time. I could tell you are badass in your (laughs) twenties. There you guys have it from Aaron. He wishes he knew more about exercise founded mind touch many years ago, bootstrapped the bad boy, which I love for many, many years up to early 2016, up to about 7 million bucks in revenue. That was between 2008, 2016. Since then they've raised 12 million bucks and they're growing about 70% year over year up to about 11.9 million at end of 2016 and call it in the 20 million ish range. Now today, super healthy. They're spending about $1 on sales and marketing to drive one new dollar of, uh, of, uh, really first year revenue across 300 customers, helping them do support much, much more efficiently, customer support more efficiently. Aaron, thank you for taking us to the top.